Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founder of Sunny's Face, Martine Ho. Martine comes from a family of artists and performers, so where many people grow up thinking of creative pursuits as hobbies and nothing more, Martine knew firsthand that a career in the arts is entirely possible if you work for it. Born in Manila but largely raised in LA, Martine grew up passionate about photography and graphic design and she even told her classmates that she wanted to own a beauty brand one day. Martine became what I would call one of the original influencers, sharing her personal style online well before people used social media the way we do today. After being scouted by American Apparel to drive and grow their digital presence, Martine moved back to Manila to exercise her branding skills on a new sunglasses line, Sunny Studios, a brand she founded alongside a small group of her friends and family. It was during campaign shoots for the brand that Martine realised makeup artists were anglicising the models. So she started mixing lipstick shades on set to ensure that they worked on diverse complexions. Naturally, Martine tells the Sunny's Face story better than I do, but based on makeup artist demand, the brand launched in 2018 with their iconic fluff matte lipstick after sampling between 300 and 350 shades. Fluff mattes sold out within about 10 minutes of launch and today Sunny's Face sells a lipstick somewhere in the world every 30 seconds. In this conversation, Martine shares what a celebrity endorsement can do for a startup, the challenges of taking the brand global, and the beauty of creating a brand out of necessity. You were born in Manila. I know that you spent time between Manila, Hong Kong, New Delhi before settling in the United States when you were around six years old. That is a lot for six years. But I want to start right at the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of beauty? I mean, I think a shared experience that I have with many other women is just sitting and watching and admiring your mom do her makeup, you know, and I lived in Hong Kong. And that's specifically when my memories were just beginning to form. And I was about three to five years old. And I would just admire the way that she would do her makeup. And that era of beauty was big, thick brows, big, bold lips, big blush, big shoulders, like really louder than life, larger than life, rather big beauty. And I just thought it was so inspiring. I love the playfulness with color. I love the fashion in Hong Kong, especially in that era. And today was so glamorous. So I fell in love with color. I fell in love with the form of beauty and I loved playing with my mom's makeup and I'm so lucky that my mom also just let me indulge. Like I would walk out of every department store looking crazy with blue eyeshadow and and things like that. And she was just so supportive. And, and that love for beauty has honestly translated 36 years later into my daily life. So yeah. I love that. So you obviously had an early affinity for beauty. I read that in high school, you were telling people that one day you would own a beauty brand, but was that always your dream? What did you think you would grow up to be? I mean, as a child, very, very young, I thought I wanted to be an actress. My family is like very much in the entertainment industry, so I've been around that a lot. But when I was in high school and really, really knowing myself and had that level of self-awareness, I do remember it was career day. I was a sophomore and we were supposed to write down what is it that we want to be when we grow up. 
and I really just was laser focused and said, I want to study design, most specifically graphic design, and I want to eventually own a beauty brand. The funny thing is those two things aren't entirely related, but that's the way that I saw my interest in life pan out. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I kind of, I mean, the power of manifestation is so real. It is so real. Because at 15, you know, 21 years later, that came true. And I didn't know how that was going to pan out. You just can't predict life. But all these decisions that I made in the past, you know, 21 years after that day in high school um, have led me to, to make that come true. So you mentioned that your family are all kind of in the entertainment industry. I did want to ask you about that. How do you think that that shaped you growing up around that industry? Um, Well, I mean, to give this a little more context, like my brother was a very big 90s actor. Um, I like lovingly call him Joey Tribbiani or like the guy from Dawson's Creek. Like he has that energy, especially in the Philippines. And the Philippines is a really big um, entertainment industry. So my whole family is in entertainment. And beyond that, they're also heavily in the arts. So my grandmother was a painter. I have many living painters in my family who make their sole livelihood off of painting. So I come from a very creative and very colorful family to say the least. And, um, I guess being, being around that growing up so much, um, I realized I could make a living off of being creative and finding what that niche is for me and what that would look like for me. So that was inspiring. I, you know, I didn't have to follow a certain path. It was, Hey, you can, you can earn a living doing something that you love. That's so nice. That's so nice. Cause you often hear of, um, people who, grew up with, you know, parents and family members who had a very typical, if you will, nine to five job who wanted to work in a creative field. And it was always, oh, well, you've got to do this, this, this before you can do the passion project. So that must have been really nice to grow up around people who were saying, no, if you want to be creative and make a living that way, it's totally possible. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, I also had like a really strong work ethic. My dad Hmm. um, was pretty textbook boomer corporate ladder kind of guy. He, um, he did that whole bit. And, you know, seeing my dad go to work every day, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., that also instilled in values in me of what hard work can achieve. And so it was really a balance seeing both of that. You grew up, so to speak, in Orange County. And it was when you were in college, I believe, that you started to develop a bit of a following online. I would love to hear more about that time. What were you studying? So I was studying journalism with mm-hmm. a like a emphasis on photography and photojournalism photogen- specifically. But even prior to kind of developing, I guess, like an online personality, I was keeping journals as soon as I knew how to write, you know, and I was keeping blogs as soon as the Internet like was available for this. I was keeping blogs at like 13 years old. And the reason I did is because I'm extremely close with my extended family And in the 90s, it was really difficult to stay in touch. So for me, keeping a a journal online was a way for them to keep up with what I'm doing with my life. And it just so happened that that became really habitual for me. And I really enjoyed um, photography and writing and sharing my life. And it is funny because now it is so it's so the norm. But back then it wasn't, you know, this was this wasn't even the genesis of influencer days. This was pre, pre, pre. so yeah, it was such a time. But yes, I studied journalism to go back to your question. And oh, that's my mom. Hi. <laughs> I'm 
podcast. <laughs> yes, ma'am. We're super clingy. Like my mom sleeps over at my house. I'm doing Love a podcast. It. I'm just like, who's that? Her name is Gemma. She's in Australia. I'm doing a podcast. Leave. Um, my family's super clingy. I live 15 <laughs> minutes away from my parents, so I get it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Okay, it's journalism. Let me get back to that question. Um, I chose that because I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed storytelling, which is pretty inherent in the way that I was, I've been blogging for so long and sharing so much of my life online. And with an emphasis on photojournalism, because I love the art of storytelling through images. And I was really extremely passionate about that. And I still am. And and I do think even as somebody who owns a beauty brand, it's that art of storytelling that really makes a brand so great. There's so much noise out there. And if you can clearly communicate what it is that you're about and that can resonate with people, that's what makes a brand um, iconic. I love it. So you were online, you're building a following. This is pre-influencer. People weren't really monetizing their platforms at this point. Your first job out of college was at American Apparel, who headhunted you. I would love to hear more about this. How did they find you and what was the role? So I was really active on this website called lookbook.nu. Not yes. sure if anyone's familiar with it. I remember it very fondly. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with lookbook.nu, it was this website where just normal people upload their outfits. They tag the brands. They normally have like a witty caption. This is pre-Instagram. So funny. It was such like a teaser to Instagram. And people hype you and heart you based on if they like your look. And I was somewhat active on the site. And I, at one point, and for a long period of time, had the most hype looked on on Lookbook. It was, um, wow. yeah, I know it was wild. Like my head, my mind was blown. I was like, I have the most hype looked on, on Lookbook. Like I can die happy. I'm so validated right now. Anyway, <laughs> I was wearing like an American apparel piece. And, <clears throat> and they, at the time, and this was, my gosh, back in like, 2008 or 2009 it was so so early on they were looking for somebody who kind of had an an intuitive understanding of how to navigate this new age of the internet um, and how to I guess liaise with upcoming internet personalities and I knew how to because I was one of them so that was a really early job for me so my initial job was doing um like influence influencer relationships, but like finding blogs that are interesting to send product to. It was styling campaigns. It was also doing product development. So designing garments and American apparel at that time was so wildly influential. And from the outside world it was, but on the inside, it was such a incredibly small company. It was actually like a mom and pop almost kind of thing. And it was a wild ride to say the least. I have such a vivid memory of this time because I bought in 2008, God, it's all coming back to me, the um, one of the ice skater dresses in the silver, but I'm tall and long in the body. So it was like a top on me, but I saw someone wearing it on lookbook and I'm like, well, I've got to have one. I have an explanation of why it was so um, small for you because I was the fit model as the small (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like pretty petite, so like everything was short. So that's probably why. I made but it yeah. work. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I sure look great on you. In 2008, I was significantly less self-conscious, which is the joy of being a teenager. <laughs> I While we're on that time, were there any major lessons that you took while your career was kind of in its infancy that you find you're still applying to your work today? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, American Apparel taught me how to trust your gut and intuition always when it comes to taste and trends, um, to not follow the trend, to do your own thing. And um, you know, it goes without saying that Dov Charney, who was the former CEO of American Apparel, he is extremely controversial and polarizing. And all of that is incredibly valid. But to work with him, you know, for five years and understand his passion for branding and his like relentless vision to build something iconic that was really inspiring and American apparel as problematic as it was, and it would not survive today. It was this absolute incubator and honestly, like a little bit of a cult um, for creative people. And I have so many friends and insanely talented people who have come out of there. So it was a time to be alive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it's it, it's kind of a time capsule. It was the start of digital in the way that we see it today. It was, I mean, just such an influential brand. It was doing things visually that we hadn't seen before. So I get it. I totally get it. Let's get into the Sunny's Face origin story. Am I right in saying that it all kind of originated as an eyewear brand? It did. Okay, so how that whole thing began um, was I was living in LA, living my life. And again, I have all of this extended family in the Philippines that I'm incredibly close to, like they are my sisters. I have a group of cousins. We're all within three years age difference. And we're always together. Like it's it's a joke. Our chat group is called Clingy Cousies, to put that into perspective. And um, they'd always come and visit me in America. And for the five years I worked at American Apparel, I never took a holiday, which is insanity. These by My these days, so I never got to see them. And honestly, it was really heart wrenching because I felt like in my early twenties, I didn't get to be with my family the way that I would have if I wasn't working in this job that I loved so much. But also, it didn't really give me. Uh, there weren't the the standards that there are today about work-life balance. Let's just say that. It was a different era for working. And so my cousin Georgina, who is a, quite a large internet personality, she was like the host of Asia's Next Top Model, and she's a sister to me. She came to the U.S. and was like, we have to start a business together. And this is something we've talked about for years. So finally, she's like, just leave your job and come to the Philippines we're going to do something great. Just come, just come, just come, just come. And I was 26 and I was at this really pivotal point in my life where I'm like, okay, I'm 26. I need to make some life decisions. I need to change something. And let me give this, let me give this a crack. I, I don't know what to expect. It wasn't really the era of like the glorification of girl bosses yet. This is like 2012. It was so new to me and I had never studied business. And she said, we're going to do a business together. So me, Georgina, and then two of our friends, Bea and Eric, who are also my business partners and closest people in my life, we started an eyewear brand. And that was selling sunglasses that are really stylish and cool and selling them at a really affordable price point, kind of like a Lispex, like that, yeah. I guess that would be something similar to what we were doing back then. But even back then, it wasn't, it wasn't really a thing. Um, and it just took off. Like, people were fanatical about it. And this was... Also pre over the top influencer gifting, like we were giving them out to influencers before that was really something that brands did on Instagram. And we had an opening in the mall and we just opened a small little tiny kiosk and the mall said it was the biggest 
kiosk opening in the existence of the malls in all of the Philippines. So it just, it was insanity. It was absolutely crazy. Actually, thinking about it now, I'm like, that was insane. It's actually our 10-year anniversary this month. So it's a big milestone for us. Happy anniversary. Yeah, we have a party tonight. So I'm like, going to get my look on after this. Um, (laughs) So that was crazy. And I was the creative director, excuse me, and... I suggested that we shoot some campaigns in Los Angeles just because I have such a good network there. I know how to produce shoots there. I've done it for so long for American Apparel. I have many good friends who do that. And through these shoots, we met a lot of really amazing makeup artists, makeup artists who are so influential. And I was really obsessed with the beauty when we would shoot eyewear because it's such a, when you shoot eyewear, everything is in the face. So the makeup also has to be spot on. And I was fanatical about what are the lip colors? How does the skin look? And I would just work with the makeup artists really, really closely on creating these beauty looks and what is iconic to what I want the Sunny's brand to look and feel like. And over time, people were always asking, what's the lipstick that they're wearing in the campaigns? What's the lipstick you guys are wearing in the campaigns? And beauty has always been my first love. And it's always been the first love of Georgina as well. And so we're like, let's just do a beauty brand. Like, is that insane? Like, let's do it. And so we did, (laughs) which is pretty much how we do everything. Um, We think about it. People want it. We do it. We go for it. And we were gifting them out to our friends in LA who had been working with us on past Sunny's campaigns. And they were quite influential makeup artists. Um, Kaylee Kennedy is one of them. She was someone we worked with closely for eyewear campaigns. And she said, this lipstick that you guys made is incredible. That You guys have really made something so special. And she said, give me a box of stuff. I'm going to give it to my agency and give it to all the makeup artists in the agency. And so we did. And it got into the hands of Patty Dubroff, who is iconic in her I own mean. right. I mean, wow. she is the legend. She's a legend in every sense of the word. And she fell in love with her rent and she's been one of our biggest supporters and she's put it on you know margot robbie during the barbie launch she's put it on so many celebrities and then the celebrities try it and they love it priyanka Chopra was obsessed with our lipstick i even heard that hillary clinton was wearing um our fluff met in girl crush throughout some of her campaign and she loved it so much from our makeup artist she stole the makeup artist lipstick so it just really it was never our intention to build this organic cult following it was really just so natural for us and um i mean the support and the honestly the fanaticism over the brand over the years is something i could have never predicted and it wasn't even planned to be honest um so it's something so wild so what to backtrack slightly moving back to the philippines was that a difficult decision at all was that something you'd ever pictured yourself doing Oh, I mean, it was a natural transition for me. I've always been very Filipino at heart and in values and everything. I was born here. Um, So, and I also have so many friends and family here. It was really easy, actually. It is funny, though, because now I feel like I'm, my heart is divided between three homes. I also live in Melbourne um, with my husband. Uh, Yeah, I live in Melbourne, too. Wow. (laughs) My husband lives full-time in Melbourne, actually. So my heart is in Melbourne. My heart is in Los Angeles. My heart is in Manila. So, yeah, three homes. As an aside, and, I mean, given that you have three homes, you're the perfect person to ask, do you notice any differences in the way that people from different countries, different regions 
approach beauty compared to what you knew from Orange County? Was there any sort of difference in moving back? Do you see any differences in Australia? Oh, absolutely. Especially when we started um, our business a decade ago. I think moving from a Western country into an Asian one and seeing the stark difference in beauty um, was, you know, really jarring. And I had to find what is my voice in this. For example, in Asia, the way that they did makeup, especially a decade ago, and which is why I fought with many makeup artists, is they just completely anglicize your face. They will give you like blue colored contacts. They will paint mm-hmm. your face white. They will contour you to a point that you don't look like yourself, you know, and versus let's say Los Angeles, where I was from, it was self-tanner galore. It was like a smoky eyeshadow. You know, it was just very different kind of standards of beauty. And my approach to beauty, especially after the influence of American apparel was a little bit of less is more, but you can use beauty to have fun. And I always loved these flattering lip colors, which is, you know, how we've developed Sunny's face. And I remember going into makeup stores for my whole life and looking at lipstick selections and only really finding one or two that suited my skin color. And that was really difficult to always make a selection. Luckily for me, I have like a really strong background in color theory and understand the colors that are most flattering. But for most people, that is completely foreign. That's really, really challenging. And it pains me when I see someone who's wearing a lip color that doesn't necessarily flatter their skin tone. And and that's really kind of how we began Sunny's face because of these shoots that I would be on, that I would painstakingly mix the perfect cocktail of a lip color for the model. And, you know, I selfishly wanted it for myself as well. So when we were developing Sunny's face, we said, let's start with a lipstick. It's really the first product that you buy. And that's also why we, that was the first product that we launched with, because when you're kind of beginning out with makeup, lipstick is kind of the first thing you'll buy if you if you want to get into beauty. It's the most iconic beauty product that you can own. And we, um, we made nine colors with the intention of this is going to be your lipstick wardrobe, the best nude that looks good on every single person, the best red, the best pink, the best peach, and, you know, and so forth. And we sampled countless samples together, like just 300 to 350 if research serves me. Exactly. Honestly, I think our manufacturers and our suppliers wanted to break up with us at that point. (laughs) But I was like, we have to get it right. This is so crucial. This is like, you know, the most important thing that we're going to do as a brand is how we launch this and how we talk about it. And it had never been done before. No brand had ever launched with just lipstick and just nine shades in the way that we did. And it was really groundbreaking, um, especially back then. This was 2018. Did launching, I mean, obviously you launched with a number of colors, but launching with just the one product, was that at all scary? I love speaking to founders in this position because it's, it is a risk because yes, you can do one thing and do it really well. But then on the flip side, if people don't instantly fall in love with that product, it can be really difficult to get them back on board with the new launches. Is that something that had crossed your mind at all? Or were you just steadfast and confident in what you were doing? Honestly, the formula and the colors, I was 100% confident in people would love them because I love them so much and I'm a beauty fanatic and I was freaking out over them. I'd say the terrifying thing was, I mean, anyone in the beauty industry or has a beauty brand knows how 
capital intense starting at launching a beauty brand is. So for me, I put my life savings into launching Sunny's Face to the point that it was, we launched Sunny's Face and I had my wedding all in the same month. And I remember. Oh, I'm sorry. I am getting married in 30 days. And the thought of doing one more project on top of that, you've just, I've had a full body reaction. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I feel physically sick. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I When I think about it, I feel the PTSD from that. <laughs> the good thing is, though, we launched Sunny's Face before the wedding. So it was Thank kind of God. I could get that off my shoulder. But to like be completely transparent, launching Sunny's Face was super capital intense for me. And as somebody who, you know, is not that kind of a person, I've never been motivated by that to put my life savings into launching one product and it has to do well or like I don't know I'm gonna just start from zero again um that was that was terrifying like literally that was super terrifying um and so I remember the night before I was just like I'm gonna put my positive energy out there that people are going to like this when we talk about it tomorrow I had no idea how people would respond and I was like I just have to leave this up to the universe and that I made something, we made something as partners that people are going to love and I hope that they love it. You just don't know. Love it, they clearly did because when you launched, you sold out in something like 10 minutes. How did you generate that level of hype pre-launch? How did you manage to sell out of a product that no one had even really tried yet? We had done a few teasers a few days prior, maybe like three or four days prior, and we had pre-gifted it to beauty vloggers. So I think the most important element of that hype was that when beauty vloggers were getting a sneak peek and review, their first reactions when trying the products were unlike anything I've ever seen in beauty, especially in this era of five years ago. They were speechless. I mean, the way that they talked about the product and how game-changing it was, it was so authentic. Um, everything about it was authentic and people could really feel that. I mean, we had people waiting in line for eight, nine hours to get the lipstick. Like you'd think it was the most limited supreme job on earth. I mean, it was just chaotic. You, you'd think it was Taylor Swift tickets for free, something like people were waiting nine hours. It was, it was filling and also just a lot of feelings that I still can't articulate to this day. Taylor Swift tickets was my first thought there. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's a more current reference. Absolute mayhem. Sunny's face reportedly sells a lipstick every 30 seconds now. This might be a difficult question to answer, but what do you think it is about your brand and about the product that clearly resonates with so many people? I mean, initially it was creating these shades that really spoke to Southeast Asian women and just kind of generally Asian women who have been so underrepresented in beauty and in media for so long. So I think people felt really seen and seeing founders, you know, of the same like ethnic background, wearing the same products that that really, really resonated with people. And beyond that, just having a really clear vision to create these everyday beauty staples that make your life simple. And that's really Every product that we make has that in mind when we're developing it. So honestly, beauty and the world is so chaotic. Let's make this easier for you. Let's make products that you can literally do almost blindfolded in your car that will look good on you every day 
that will be flattering on your on you, your niece, your mom, your grandma. It's universal. It looks great on everyone. And in addition to that, which I didn't even touch upon, was a big part of this was accessibility. You know, mm. creating these insanely luxury formulas that should be fifty to sixty dollars a lipstick, and we're selling them at you know eight dollars. It also just shows the insane luxury markup that yeah. the beauty does take. So you know, we kind of just took away all this mystery of beauty, simplified it and and made it so accessible for everyone. And, and that really resonated with people whose lives are so busy. Like, I don't, I don't want to think about this. I want a lipstick that's going to look good no matter what. The range now consists of something like 18 products across lips, cheeks, brows, complexion, and skincare. What came next after Fluff Matte and why? Um, what came next after that was a airbrush product, which is this adorable cream to powder blush. And it gives you this kind of like filtered beauty filter. Like it looks like, you know, this Asian filters. It's yeah. that's honestly one of my favorites. It gives you like an airbrushed look, which is why it's called air blush. We were just being clever there, as you can see. Um, so that came right after and people were also really, really crazy about that. How does that product development process work for you? Are you constantly thinking about what might come next? Are you working off what your customers are asking for or is it a balance of the two? I'd say it's a balance of the two, but to answer kind of how we listen to our consumers, our best selling selling shade is a shade called Girl Crush, which is this kind of mix between like a rose mauve with a little bit of a terracotta warmth to it. And Mm. it's this, it's so gorgeous on, it's so hard to describe. And to be honest, it translates different on everybody, but for some reason it just miraculously looks beautiful on everyone. So everyone's crazy about this color girl crush and it's our number one best-selling color. So of course we extended that range. We, we, we turned it into an airbrush. We turned it into a lip treat, which is our, um, it's kind of like a lip gloss balm with, ceramides and peptides and we turned it into our lip dip which is like a lip mousse cream so you guys love girl crush we're going to give it to you in every formula so that you can always have this in your life in whatever formula you're feeling or texture you're feeling for that day so i mean that's one way we always listen to the consumer we always do polls it's always a dialogue and we're always listening so you're in such an interesting position as a co-founder as there's a team of five of you which is such a rarity what do you think is the key to working collaboratively with such a large group? Well, I mean, above and beyond being business partners, we're family and we're friends. And that comes with the complications too, but we just love each other so much. And I genuinely just love spending time with my partners that it makes communication easy. And on top of that, and honestly, this is so rare and it's so sacred to me. We all have such different skill sets that it's so complimentary. I mean, when somebody overlaps, that's when there's tension. So my business partners, Bay and Eric, they handle all the operations and finance, which to be honest, is completely foreign to me. It's like mathematics was my worst subject in school. It's terrible at it. I'm not organized. So they rein me in and they help guide my vision and they help make it come true. And we're all just incredibly supportive of each other. That's really the key to a good partnership. I personally became aware of the brand in 2019, so about a year into launch when you collaborated with Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. How did that collaboration come to fruition and what did that level of international exposure do for the brand? 
So Rosie um, was just beginning her blog, Rosink, actually. And it was a beauty blog at the time, beauty website. She hadn't launched her beauty brand yet. And we had just stumbled upon her address. We sent her samples. She had no idea who we were, had no idea what Sunny's face was. And she was just in her mailing room and she was trying on lipsticks and she storied what is this brand? Like this lipstick is unlike anything I've ever felt. It's soft. It's pillowy. It's fluffy, fluff mat. <laughs> and um, she had just said that the red was one of the most beautiful reds she's ever worn. And she reached out immediately wanting to do a collab. And she actually discussed with us that she was planning on launching a beauty brand. And we were very transparent. And she was asking us advice on how to go about it. And, you know, we just had a nice friendship and a nice moment. And that was a really great launch for us. And the next thing we knew, we were all in LA. We were launching this and we were doing this, um, you know, event for it. And it was Rosie and my business partner, Georgina. And they were speaking in a panel, discussing their brands and their upbringing. And, you know, it was just this really great moment for the brand where we really realized um, people internationally care what we're doing. And it's not just the Philippines. We began to think globally after that point. Well, you launched into the US last year and announced global shipping, meaning we can finally get Sunny's face here in Australia just this month, last month, depending on when this goes live. What has that expansion process been like and has it presented any challenges? Hmm. I mean, for us, it was always something really important for us to become global, especially when we saw the cult following that we had gained. Um but in terms of like that expansion process, it was a long, laborious process of things I'm not involved in operationally, um, but it was deeply fulfilling to get that off the ground, especially now that we can ship to 180 countries and seeing people all over the world being able to receive their packages and tagging me, hey, we're in, you know, Europe and we're in, we're in America and we're all over Asia. That was so deeply, deeply incredible for me, but now... I guess the real challenge begins of, you know, continuing that and building our brand even more so to be international. You have been a part of the beauty industry for five years or so now with Sunny's Face, although your love of beauty obviously extends far beyond that. Over the last few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry? Um, I definitely think representation of all forms of beauty is something that I've seen really, really develop and grow in a real way. And and I love that so much because it also reflects our values as a brand when we launched. We have to represent what Filipino beauty is. What does that mean for us? And seeing somebody who looks like you is so important when, when you're growing up, especially somebody who is you know deemed as beautiful. So representation, um, by all means, is the biggest thing I've seen in a change in the beauty industry that is a positive one. And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the coming few years? Mm, definitely, and I can relate to this as well, is that consumer is worlds more discerning. You know, five years ago, not, sorry, not five years ago, prior to five years ago, you could launch a celebrity brand and everyone will just gobble it up. And now that's not necessarily translating. If you are an influencer or you're a celebrity and you launch a beauty brand, people are almost even more critical of it. Um, so I think that kind of shift has changed a lot in the past few years and will continue to shift more. So like beyond that, I think the most important lesson is that your product is always king above anything else behind who's behind the brand. If you have an amazing product, um, there will 
be people who are who will follow it and also the big change i think I'll, we'll see in the next few years in beauty is that a lot of brands won't make it that's mm. the truth because of the you know discerning nature of the of the new consumer my final question what is next for sunny's face what is next for sunny face well we have really exciting like i just came from a product development meeting and we have the most exciting products that we're launching in the next coming months so that's exciting for me. that's my most favorite thing about working in beauty is product development so honestly just exciting exciting products more global things more global pop-ups and yeah good stuff that was martine ho co-founder of sunny space which you can find on instagram at sunny space to read more, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to Elders past and present.